This is the Lotox Life Podcast. If all the birds could fly right now, as high as me somehow, they could see all the things I've been dreaming of. These wings of mine flutter inside, they shimmy and they glide, breaking forth, crack the shell from this clockwork light. Hello and welcome to the Lotox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today is show 239. I'm absolutely thrilled to bring back Amanda Gordon, psychologist here local to Sydney. Uh, she was on the show a couple of months ago talking grief. If you miss that show, even if you think you're not grieving right now uh, or you're having a good period in your life and you had been grieving, uh, I think it is mandatory listening for every single human. It was such a helpful uh, podcast to mine through a very difficult topic. It was one that I was a bit scared about even approaching for a while there because I wanted it to be done with compassion, vulnerability and very high expertise and experience in supporting people through grief. Uh, and Amanda delivered in spades. So if you missed that first one, please do listen to it. Lotox Life, Amanda Gordon, Grief, chuck it into your search bar and it'll come straight up and you can have a listen either direct on our website or wherever you're listening to this one from now. So today we're talking about resilience, we're talking about relationships, we're talking about boundaries, we're talking about mindset when it comes to the have-tos versus the want-tos and that includes uh, really having a rethink about parenting. A lot of people like, oh God, you know, I have to change another nappy or I have to deal with another fussy eating meal or I have to. And Dr. Libby always famously says, how about changing I have to, to I get to. And Amanda Gordon gives us a bit of tough love today talking about how if you've signed up for parenting, that does come with a giant to-do list every single day. So how we approach that how we feel about that and uh, the mindset we have around that is really, really crucial to us enjoying that experience. For the most part, of course, everyone's allowed to have a crappy moment or a crappy couple of days. Uh, it sucks when our kids are sick and there are all sorts of hardships, difficult challenges in parenting years. Um, but I found that really interesting. And Bruce Lipton even talked about that last year uh, with the honeymoon effect. Um, so we talk about uh, also about relationships and setting boundaries for ourselves, for each other, communicating more effectively. And I actually made a little faux pas when I quoted the wonderful Dr. Edith Eager in her book. She doesn't say if you haven't got anger in your relationship, you haven't got intimacy. She actually says if you haven't got fighting and just, you know, just healthy fighting where you stand up for yourself, you raise your voice a little bit, you have an exchange, passionate exchange. Uh, and that is one of the um, markers for um, also having good intimacy in a relationship. So I accidentally used the word anger and rightly so. Um, I don't know whether Amanda was disagreeing with uh, Edith or me, but it was absolutely right of her to say it's not about anger. Uh, it's actually about feeling comfortable voicing your concerns, feelings and beliefs in, uh, in an intimate relationship uh, and not hiding those parts of yourself. So she then goes on to share some real gold in that space. So I'm going to hook into that conversation a little minute. Uh, but I want to remind you all that you have a little giveaway uh, for one of my favorite supplement brands. 
And it's always such a pleasure to partner with Nordic Naturals because uh, it's something my son and I take literally every single day. We've tried different brands over the years. Uh, We've tried to save money and do the cheap stuff many years ago before I really learned about um, the fishing industry, sustainability and uh, heavy metal and dioxin and PCBs and all that kind of stuff. And I know for a fact that the uh, fish oil that we take, the Arctic cod liver oil uh, liquid, and we take the lemon one, so it's a really nice flavour, is... Uh, so, so effective, wonderful for us as uh, mould recoverers uh, that we are and uh, really excellent for uh, regulating inflammatory responses, immune responses. Uh, They've got so much, uh, bucket loads, in fact, of transparency and uh, I'm a big fan. So uh, the way that you enter the giveaway is simply by leaving a comment in today's show notes, which you can always find at lowtoxlife.com forward slash podcast and click on today's show and you pop a note in the bottom and say, I'd love to win this. And it's a duo pack of their liquid and their soft gels. Uh, The liquid is super high concentration. So if you've discussed therapeutic dosages with your naturopath or doctor, then uh, the liquid is the go. Uh, Maintenance dosage in the soft gels, also really handy if you travel or um, tend to forget your supplements, so you prefer to keep them at work uh, to use there, then uh, the soft gels are a great one as well. But I just wanted to talk a little bit about sustainability because Uh, There's been growing concern about impurities in fish oils, heavy metal contamination, processing uh, and sustainability. And rightly so. You know, I love it when people start to ask questions uh, and start to really want to make sure that what they're buying um, is checking out with what people say on the brochure. And uh, Nordic Naturals, when I first looked into fish oils, is a wonderful brand for their sustainability and the transparency, uh, the, the way in which they communicate it. You have literally everything on their website. Uh, so 100% of the fish is sourced in compliance with Norwegian Fisheries Management System, uh, and that's a really modern model system. It is one of the strictest in the world in terms of quotas uh, and preventing overfishing, and uh, they have been in operation for over 30 years abiding by that. Uh, It also protects against bycatch of unintended species, which, of course, we know is super important. Uh, And the no-name brands, the cheaper brands, or the billions of supplements you find on some of those big websites, supplement websites online where you don't get that traceability, just don't trust it. Because on top of all of that stuff where you then have to worry, is there bycatch implication with this? Are they overfishing? Uh, You also then have to worry about uh, three big toxins you can find in fish oils, PCBs, dioxin, and heavy metals. And the way that Nordic Naturals filter their fish oil uh, with clay and water and the way in which they process in an oxygen-free environment means that it's super, super fresh Uh, and nothing rancid about these. And you can kind of smell when you open a really dodgy, cheap fish oil capsule jar, um, like it smells a bit off. That is definitely not what you want. So here's to transparency. Here's to sustainability. When it comes to supplements that we're told we need, let's search for the best. And, And I'm a huge fan. So head to the show notes, 
pop your comment in the comment section and we will do the giveaway uh, in a couple of weeks at the end of the month and let you know who the lucky winner is. Uh, Big thank you to Nordic Naturals for being our show supporter today. And please do enjoy this wonderful conversation with uh, Amanda Gordon. Hello, Amanda. How are you? I'm well, thanks, Alex. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Um, And I have to say our, our interview about grief a couple of months ago I had so many heartfelt messages from people who listen to that show who have been able to see how they could move forward in extremely difficult experiences. Uh, I myself found it an extremely helpful uh, episode. And so I just wanted to thank you for that before we moved into today's topic. Thank you. I am delighted. You know, the work that psychologists do can be at times... Um, very difficult and, and, you know, we carry a lot of stuff with us that people hand to us. But there is so much value for me when I hear that something that has been said has made an impact and helped people move forward in their lives. That's why I keep doing what I do, even though, um, you know, these are very busy times for psychologists, the 21st century, but especially 2020 and 2021 in Australia has been very challenging for us. There's been a lot of work and very few hours off, if you like. Um, But when we hear things like we're making a difference in people's lives, it's worth putting every hour in. So thank you. I'm very grateful. Oh, you're welcome. Uh, I I will forward some of them on to you, actually, because uh, sometimes I share quotes on social media, I put it in a, in a newsletter and you think the guest doesn't even know the impact they've had. So I, I will absolutely send those across. Uh, so today I wanted to talk about resilience uh, and it wasn't even necessarily to decide or define what resilience is and the steps we need to get there to really explore it as a topic in our ever-changing world. And some of the things I'm noticing about parenting styles changing, roles of men and women changing, uh, comfort and convenience really at an all-time high. You don't need to leave your house or lift a like finger, <laughs> you know. And you don't need to leave, leave your house. You never know when a lockdown will occur. <laughs> exactly. It does, does make for a pandemic being a slightly less harrowing experience perhaps than the Spanish flu was. Um, but I'm... I'm curious about the uh, potential impacts of this heightened convenience and don't have to lift a finger. And I wonder whether it is contributing to the mental health stats can just seem to be exploding or is it uh, in your experience and in the research maybe um, exploding because people have less of a sense of purpose you know, we move from industrial where everyone can carve out a career and work up the chain and, you know, and things are a lot more uh, grey now as to how you uh, contribute in a lifetime. We have middle class evaporation, rich get richer, poor get poorer, and therefore people are less financially secure than they were just one generation ago. Uh, And so there are so many things changing in our world. And I thought, important to just get you back in here and and explore this topic. Um, So I guess the first question I want to ask you is what are some of the things that you see in practice that seem to be the greatest contributors to the erosion of or lack of 
having built resilience uh, as humans? Very big question, but thank you for it. I just thought we'd go big. Why why not go big? You know, I'm really happy to talk around some of these things because the world can be very confusing in the 21st century. Let's even leave aside the pandemic, much as we would all love, in fact, to leave aside the pandemic. Let's pretend it wasn't there. Even before that, there were, I met so many people who really weren't sure what they were doing in this life. You know, what's it, what's it all about? We're working hard and we get the big house, so what? We're working hard and we don't manage to get the big house, so what? Uh, we're struggling to have a good diet and yet we have plenty of opportunity in terms of money, etc. Do you want to stop and start this? Uh, thank you, because I wasn't sure whether it was here or there, no, but that's not. okay. You just pick up... Um, just pick up that last little bit that you were saying and I'll get um, uh, Stevie to edit it. No problems. Right. Um, there's, there's so much opportunity to have a good diet and yet so many people don't. Uh, the rich are just as likely to be suffering from problems with their diet, whether it's overeating or undereating, as the poor. There is so much confusion as to how to be a woman today or how to be a man today and whether it's okay to be one or other of those and select or whether in fact it should be that we're all the same. So there is confusion around identity, there's confusion about meaning and so life feels harder even though as you say life is easier than it's ever been before with all the conveniences available to us. We don't have to go out and grow our own food, it is available for us. We don't have to walk everywhere. There are other conveniences that make life much easier. But do we know how to bring up our children? Well, yes, but for what purpose? What's the world that we're going to give them? There's also a great deal of concern about the future of the world because of um, global warming, et cetera, which is making people uh, both more anxious but also sometimes less willing to grasp the possibility of future because they don't know what it will look like. Um, And that, I guess, takes us to the explanation for so much of this is that everything is changing all of the time. So two generations ago, my grandparents ago, they could predict the world with some certainty. They could predict that in 10 years time, the world will look something like this. Now we can't do that. Now we don't know what next year will look like. Not only do we have the immediacy of not knowing whether we can visit our families overseas or even interstate. I'm meant to be meeting up with my sister this weekend and now I don't know whether it will happen and I'm not alone. And whatever day you happen to listen to this, this podcast, you will be in the same position of not knowing whether next weekend someone in your particular ambit may be in lockdown or may be unavailable to you. And that's the world now. That wasn't the world two generations ago. And I think it does just make it harder for people to work out how to live in the world. Mm. Yeah, huge. And so, you know, why build resilience if we don't know what we're building it for? Like, is that part of the problem? Look, there is an element of that. There's an element of maybe I'll just keep my children safe and not allow them to do anything because I don't know what that anything will be 
-hmm. or maybe I'll just hold them as close as I can, let them still be children because we don't know what challenges they're going to have to confront as adults. Um, For some people, it it is. On the other hand, you've got to be strong and you've got to be tough because you don't know what you're going to have to face. And there's, you know, so, so there are different responses to this uncertainty, both for parents and for adults already there. There are different responses to it. Mm. And so for people out there thinking or feeling, I just really don't know why I'm waking up today. Like what, what is this all for? How do we navigate those feelings? What are some primary steps? It's really lovely. Or, or actually, no, you, you say, because I've, I've just had another, another idea for another direction to go. You were going to say it's really lovely. Yeah, it's really lovely if you can be connected to others because when you're connected to others, that connection, that very connection is the meaning of life, I think. So the connection means that we give and support others in our network and we receive what we need from those in our network. Um, the meaning of life is the connection to others. Uh, if you have, for some people who are listening to this and reflecting on this, they'll think about um, the meaning of life that their religious or philosophical background can give them. But it all boils down to the same thing: it's about connectedness to the other, to the other in terms of humanity, or for some of us, it might be connectedness to an animal, or to the earth other to a greater being but that connected is also the meaning getting back to your question Alex about what is it when you wake up in the morning and wonder what it's all for it's not for me for you it's for us it's for we if life is only about what I can get out of it it will become pretty meaningless but if it's what I can give to it or how I can connect to someone or something else within it and it is full of meaning. It is ripe. It is it is ready for us. And so that's what we have to do. When we wake up in the morning, the way we navigate those feelings is looking at, reflecting on what are the connections that I can make today? What are the meaningful attachments that are there for me? And it could be with a beautiful plant that makes me feel connected to nature. It could be my pet as I stand up and respond to the barking or the mewling and feed it and and feel some warmth could be to your children grandchildren grandparents parents best friend your work colleagues those connections those attachments and what you can give to them and how you can strengthen them will give you reason to get up in the morning and to feel good enough about your day to grow and to feel better and that's what we have to talk about because there's no need to succumb to those feelings they will be fleeting if you allow them to be Mm. And and so if I think about our fight and flight response that is highly active in the modern context, especially people, uh, you know, maybe you've got the little kids and the job or just little kids enough can sometimes have you on a, a heightened alert state. Um, people are treating a traffic jam or someone cutting in front of them in the traffic as if they're being chased by a lion. It's the same physiological response. So if we're in these heightened stress responses, often we retreat, right? We become disconnected because we can't see beyond us and the poor me or I'm fighting this situation. How big an impact 
is stress uh, in hindering our ability to make these deep connections? Do you see? I think stress is enormous in today's society because, and we know it, from a physiological level what it's doing, it, stress, the cortisol that is uh, experienced through stress actually changes the brain, makes us less likely to be able to connect and more likely to have to try and protect the, the self, whether it's um, protect psychically or protect physically, that's what the cortisol is doing. So stress is a very dangerous and damaging part of modern day life. Um, key to it is not though to stare at your navel because a stress reduction which is only about self loses the meaningfulness of a stress reduction which is connected to others so yes we need some me time to reduce our stress but we use the reduced stress person to connect with the other and that's what really binds us to the world and makes life worth living Mm, I love that because um, I feel like there's an introversion epidemic, uh, you know, and people are, are, you know, oh, I can't pick up my phone when I see a friend calling or I can't, you know, and I, I, I genuinely hold space for people who are having those very real feelings. That's obviously where people are at. But I am curious as to the bigger picture of uh, why we're feeling like when we see a friend cancel on us we get relieved or you know why we see someone calling us we're like why are they calling us I don't like picking up the telephone like is this something we should be working on rather than accepting as ourself yes I don't think it's ourself I think we are social beings and we're not meant to live in a vacuum uh you know I I hear it from the other end I hear young parents or new parents coming in and complaining um, that life is no good anymore because they're working and they're looking after the kids and, and they're doing the housework and there's, they've got no time for themselves as if there's somewhere an entitlement for time for yourself. No, you're working. <laughs> you've got to keep house. You've got to look after the kids. Time for yourself goes on hold for a little while. You have a responsibility to others at this point and that is okay and you will survive and you will be able to wind yourself down before you go to sleep and you'll be able to get up and connect and the connection with others will make you feel better. Now, in the same way, this idea of I will pull away because I couldn't be bothered talking to my friend or I don't want to go out, I'm feeling lazy, I'd rather just stare at a screen, in the end will not induce relaxation and positive feelings about the world. It will, in fact, just turn us into more anxious people who worry more about connecting with others and will feel less meaning in life as they look more and more at the screen. So it's really important that you do take a risk and reach out. If your friend's calling you or messaging you, wants to go out with you, maybe they want you to do a bit of giving and you might feel tired. You might not want to give. But let me assure you, giving to your friend or your family member or your colleague or someone else, giving will actually make you feel less tired, less anxious, more connected than if you hold on to what you have because you're feeling tired. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's often just getting yourself there and then you feel the joy of the experience. Um, yeah. And so... 
Uh, it does bring up for me, though, in a time where it feels especially like, and I don't want to completely generalise, but being a woman myself uh, and knowing lots of women, I feel like I can say uh, setting boundaries in an age where we have 700 Facebook friends or uh, people on LinkedIn wanting to have a coffee and pick your brain or, you know, all of the, it's, it's, it feels like we also need to add a caveat to that. No, get up, get out and do it. You will feel good once you're there. Sometimes you don't feel good once you're there and you're like, why did I say yes to this? And actually learning how to filter and preserve what really are genuinely excellent connections and healthy connections to be building versus perhaps quite leeching or even toxic connections. I like, I like people to think about their lives as being a series of concentric circles and right in the centre, you're, you're allowed to be you. You're allowed to look at your neighbour briefly. You're allowed to know who you are in this world and then attached to you in the next circle out would be your one or perhaps two most important people in your world, perhaps your life partner or a child or your mum, I don't know, whomever it is. And then the next circle, there might be three or four others and it's that, or maybe maybe in the next connect circle, there'll be another 10 or 15 if you're from a very large family. <laughs> but after that, those circles become more remote from you. And the, the key relationships are the inner circles, not there's you, there's you with your, your a significant other or two, and then the next circle after that. But then after that, they rapidly expand, you know, and they they move further out from us rather than further in. Protect those inner circle relationships. It, but you can't expect to have the same intensity of relationship with everyone in your life. So there are some people with whom you have a very intense, connected relationship. Uh, in my case, it's my, my husband, my children, um, and I have a slightly less intense relationship with my siblings, but still very, very important. My grandchildren, as they're getting older, are becoming more and more significant relationships because it's more two-way. It's less one-way, two-way. Um, protect those meaningful relationships and your best friends, your very best friends. We've all got besties, I hope, and those besties are worth preserving and working with and making sure life is good for them because of their connection to you. Um, but after that, Yes, be selective, absolutely selective. And don't go out if you don't feel the need to. But if you're not going out with those more remote relationships, make sure that you are connecting with others at some point during your day. Mm, I, I, I love that. People. Yeah. Uh, therefore, I'm going to be all for myself. Yes, every so often, that's okay. But most of the time, some connection with some people is significant. Mm. I remember a couple of probably about five years ago now I started realizing uh, when I really wanted to say no to something I became much more in tune with that and I would be more selective and I would say uh, let me just have a think about uh, what the priorities look like this week and I'll get back to you so it would give me a bit more time to reflect if I was unsure whether I was going to say a false yes or a real yes and um, and I remember thinking, gosh, one of my primary filters is I haven't even seen X. Why on earth am I going to say yes to going to this, you know, breakfast networking event when I haven't even seen my favourite person in the last month? 
and actually then making sure what I love from what you just said was don't just say the no, but actually create the yes to something you really do want to do and to someone you really are, are passionate about connecting with. Correct. Correct. And it is okay sometimes to say no. I think we do get very confused by that. And I think you're quite right in talking about the fact that social media has used the word friend mm. and has has usurped the word friend because my friendship is not the same as my Facebook friend. Sorry for all my friends listening out there. <laughs> my Facebook friend. It's not the same. My friendships are those unique individuals with whom I have a unique relationship my relationship with each of the individual important people in my life is different each to the other even though they might be in a group but I've worked on it they're connected to my heart in some way my Facebook friends much as I love the idea that you're out there it's not the same thing and if you allow yourself to connect with your heart to unique individuals in this world who will see your uniqueness then you will know your value as well because they'll reveal your value to you as well. Oh, I love that. And, yeah, I think, you know, you could you see someone, a Facebook friend achieving something, maybe they've put a new book out or they've bought a house or whatever the lovely thing that's happening in their life. And I always think to myself, um, well, that's definitely a Facebook friend. If I can just smile and go, oh, how lovely for them versus, oh, my gosh, let's have a dinner and celebrate and pick up the phone. You know, they're very different relationships. Mm, mm. Mm. I think it's important to have different relationships. It goes back to the idea of the circles, the Facebook friends, some of whom you may not even know personally, but they're a friend of a friend. They're out right out on the wide circle, not the narrow circle. And yeah. So you don't have to give much energy to them and you won't get much back from them either because think about how remote you are from yeah. them. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Okay, great. I love <laughs> the concentric circle um, visualisation is a really helpful one for people. And uh, so make sure if you are thinking about that visual, uh, and you're visualising it, get a paper and pen, don't try and use a screen, and draw some circles and put yourself in the centre and see where your connections are. And, and if everyone's feeling very remote at the moment, maybe there's one person that you want to draw into a closer circle to you. Mm. And that means you might have to put in the effort to do that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I can think of two wonderful friends that I've built um, over the last, uh, well, we've co-built, of course, because friendship is that, uh, over the last few years. And, um, yeah, it is that feeling where you get to a point where you're, looking at your diary and you're thinking, oh, I haven't got to catch up with that person in the next little while. Let's make sure that's in there. And mm. uh, and they always say yes. And that's kind of how you know that you're building, co-building a great relationship. But with those people, if there isn't time in your world to catch up with them for a coffee or whatever, send them a text or make a phone call or remind them that you love them, even though you're not really able to see them at this time. And especially for those of us who have people far away, it's really, really important at this time to continue to connect, to reach out. I don't know about you, but in the recent, or well, in the last 18 months, I have various WhatsApp groups and we are closer. Some of us are closer than we were before the pandemic. We've really worked on it. We've made an effort to connect with each other because we've realised how important it is. Uh, 
they're real people who were real connections before, but those circles have come a little bit closer, even though physically we may be more distant. Mm, absolutely. I think a lot of people are realising that and it's kind of a natural progression. Once you've been locked down or restricted in some way, the human spirit generally tends to find other ways to do things. Yes. And if it's not, then you're going to have to actively look after yourself to ensure that it does. And if you know someone who isn't reaching out and who is who seemed a bit reluctant to accept your invitations in recent times, then try not to take it personally and just check out with them whether they've done that retreat that you talked about earlier, Alex, and that maybe, maybe they're in need of learning more about their value from you. And maybe you're going to have to do some work for the other once you start reflecting on this because then there will be some people who are listening to this, Alex, who will actually think to themselves, ah, yeah, I stopped reaching out to this person because they said no every time I tried to engage. Um, And I thought maybe they didn't like me anymore or didn't want me anymore, but maybe they've just been a person who has retreated into this sort of introversion epidemic that you've mentioned and maybe we have to do some more reaching out at this time and Mm, I love that don't just give up on friends because you haven't heard them for a while Mm. Mm. um so you know quite often you see these memes in spoke quotes and what have you on on socials about being the product of the five people you spend the most time with and Uh, and uh, getting rid of any toxic negativity in your life or friendship circle. And I don't know why, they always grate on me. Uh, And so I'd be very keen to hear your uh, psychological opinion on this because people go through shit in a lifetime and you're not going to have a friend who has this perfect, fantastic, positive outlook on things every step of the way and... You would, there are, I wouldn't want to be cutting anyone out just because they're bringing some negative vibes to the table all of a sudden if they've just lost their father or, you know, they're having a really rough time with unemployment. I mean, there are so many tough times that people go through. So I guess I want to ask, uh, how do you feel about those sorts of memes? How productive uh, are they really? I, I don't know. You can imagine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> favorite things no okay good it does worry me that people are developing life philosophies based on memes you know really we're I think we're most of us um able to think a little more deeply than those memes encourage and once you do start reflecting on them as you do you see to yourself wow they're suggesting I should cut someone out who may themselves be struggling just because they're not so good for me right now but life isn't about me and what I can get from my friendship. Life is about what I can give to my friendship, what I can give to the other. So if they are um, seeming to have some negative um, vibes right now, maybe they're the people I need to reach out to, as I mentioned earlier. Um, it's interesting. I have a girlfriend whose daughter and grandchild lives overseas, as does mine. So I have a daughter and grandchildren living overseas as well. And this has been a very difficult 18 months for each of us. And she was saying the other day, it's interesting, we don't talk about it very much. We might talk about what our kids are doing, but we don't talk about how it feels for us that we can't be with them right now, that we can't be with them right now. We just, and I said, you're right, because I certainly don't want to say something that will make someone else distressed for me. But in 
But I feel like I have enough people within my network and because I can say it to my daughter, the one overseas and the one here, and to my husband and to various other family members who get it, I don't feel like I need to put that on other people. But if I don't put it on other people, there's a grave risk that those people who need to talk about it aren't going to say it back to me. So there's always that balance, isn't there, in having those conversations in do we want to keep it all light and bubbly and not have any toxicity in the relationship? Or do we want to risk sharing our feelings that are at times not feeling all that comfortable and risking that our friends can tolerate those feelings and that, in fact, through tolerating each other's feelings and understanding each other's feelings, my belief is that we would grow. So I actually think we grow through our connections to others. That's why therapy works much better than a self-help book. It's the connection with the therapist, even though she might be giving you exactly the same suggestions as to manage as the self-help book does. But the actual connection is relevant in terms of self-development in terms of personal growth. So when you're with your friends, if you will share how you're really feeling, unafraid, it is likely that your friends will grow as a res result of your sharing. So you're doing them a favor, not a disservice. And that's where the memes let you down because the memes imply to everyone that you shouldn't be negative ever. It should all be full of positive energy and telling jokes. And, and you mentioned earlier about seeing those stories on Facebook or whatever, or Instagram. And the problem is people are only posting the good stuff. Very really actually hear what's going on for that person behind. Those people who are posting those wonderful things are probably having exactly the same bad times as you are. They're just not posting those bits. So so it's really important that you think about connecting. When you think about connecting with another, it's not just for the good times. It's not for the going out and the partying. It's not just for sharing the good stories and celebrating the house or the wedding or whatever. It's also for the bad times and for the hard times because when you do that, you don't lose. You actually grow as well. And I'm not suggesting you do it selfishly but there is a sort of selfishness in being truly connected to another through the good and the bad, because you will actually become a more whole human being yourself through doing that. Yeah, absolutely. And so our Facebook friends, uh, that kind of the wider circle that we talked about before, um, it just made me think, well, no, I don't actually want to be vulnerable and share my really shitty days with that level that far out. And that's so interesting, isn't it? Because that means that we're literally seeing everybody's highlight reel for the simple fact that we're actually not close friends with these people. Mm -hmm. And the problem with the highlight reel is it can make you dissatisfied with your life if you're not noticing your own highlights. So the trick with seeing other people's highlight reel is not to just watch it and envy it but to then close it down, open up your gratitude book and write down some of the highlights of your day. Now, they might not be Facebook worthy. It might just see, be that I noticed this beautiful flower, although some people are posting beautiful shots, or the moon. You know, I saw the moon and it was glorious and I couldn't take a photo of it, but I could write about it or think about it or talk about it with someone. Think about your highlights um, that 
and it, they can be so small or so big, I don't have to go into it, but the only use, the only utility, the highlight reel of the Facebook posting is from that person who's 700 times removed from you, but happens to be one of your 700 people. The only utility is if it reminds you to reflect on the highlights and know that they are just as important as those big moments that have been posted up on Facebook. Mm, I love that. So good. And to just remember that that highlight reel is the reflection of someone who also doesn't share their deep, personal and slightly more troubled or worried thoughts uh, because they're doing that with their super close friendship circle as well. It doesn't mean that they're not having those experiences. Absolutely not. Mm. Think of the moon. I mentioned the moon. We only see one face of it at any time usually only part of that face except for the full moon you only see a little bit of it and that's all people are revealing to you just the part of the just the face of themselves that they want you to see when they're on social media but surely you want a full relationship with the person a whole rounded experience which means you're going to see more than just that you know social face that they're giving to you that aspect of the moon that's there this month so so that's the way you connect truly with people at that deeper level when you go and you talk to your, your best mate or um, your mom or your child or your grandchild and you talk about deep and meaningful things, uh, some of which are painful, some of which are difficult. Being able to say, as I, I had a conversation with my daughter the other day and she said, and I just feel like we've both aged a lot this year. I said, it's been a pretty tough year. Just think just think about the year that we've had. And, you know, I've had life events, as have you, as has everyone, um, that have touched me, touched the way I look, changed the way my physical face is to the world, but have also changed my psychological face to the world, my emotional face to the world, the willingness I am have to sharing various things, uh, the way life events colour our attitude to other life events, to other people's life events, to our own life events, will be revealed on our face, will make us more able or less able to cope with other things as they go on. It's been a tough year for a lot of people. I think a lot of us do feel like we've aged a bit, we've lived a bit of life in this last year or 18 months. And we can either get weaker through that and see it as, wow, this you know, this getting older or aging is hard or it can make us stronger. Back to this idea of talking about resilience. Um, what does it mean to have gone through difficult times? Does it make you less resilient or more resilient? And um, I reflect on that often because there's a whole body of research. I said to, to you, Alex, privately that I don't have much of the research to tell you all the numbers. I won't tell you any numbers, but there's some very interesting research around resilience and stress that I think we have to understand because it used to be believed that if you go through a stressful event, it's going to make you stronger to deal with the next stressful event and stronger to deal with it. Like you've run away from a lion before, you know how to do it next time. Um, you've nearly drowned, you'll swim better the next time. But what we find is unless people actually have the capacity to deal with each stressful event, then in fact, it depletes us. So stress can build on top of itself and we become depleted from loads of stressful events. On the other hand, if we are able to take some space to 
um, deal with each stressful event, if we're not overwhelmed by one stress after another, if we haven't had a flood and lost all our possessions and then just got the house ready again and a burglar came and stole everything and then we just got things sorted out again and, you know, whatever, and someone in, in the family died. But if instead we have some space where we can come to terms with and change what's happened in our life and build build some sense of self and identity after each one, we can actually become stronger as a result. So that, that um, just, I think people are feeling less resilient right now because so much has happened in such a short space of time and it's been hard to recover. And the way people have chosen to recover in 2020 and 2021 is to stare at a screen or to order some food or some alcohol or do some retail shopping. That's, that's what people have done. And whenever we're allowed out, they've gone and bought a coffee. You know, they've gone out and, and instead of um, actually recognising that there have been some really difficult times and events that have occurred and I need to stop and perhaps I need to grieve, perhaps I need to talk it through with someone else, perhaps I need to reform connections that have been lost, uh, work out what is valuable in my life and move forward, and through doing that become stronger with each stress. Even though it may show on our faces that we've aged a bit in this last 18 months, that ageing can be wisdom and resilience instead of overwhelmedness and um, hiding away with introversion, if you like. Yeah, I love that. So what I'm taking away from that is key to using uh, stressful events in our lives as stepping stones to getting stronger and becoming more resilient is actually taking the time to be with what you've just experienced uh, enough. Sometimes, sometimes deal with. Yeah. Sometimes it's a matter of actually going to a psychologist or um, really taking whatever steps you need to through community building, through um, resourcing yourself so that you'll manage next time around. Mm, very, very important. And, and that is what the research is showing us is the key yeah. to the what doesn't kill you yeah. makes you stronger concept. Correct. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger is not really true. It's only true if it didn't kill you and then you were able to actually triage the injuries and look after yourself. Otherwise, ultimately, it will kill you. You will be overwhelmed by it. But if you, if you can triage it, you can bandage what needs to be bandaged, you can debride what needs to be debrided, you can, you know, you can stop and care for that wounded part of you, then you will be stronger. It's like I think about I broke my wrist a long time ago, 10 years ago, and they put a plate in. And then the surgeon said to me the next year, I want to remove the plate. He said, with, yeah, with young people, I like to remove the plate. And I said, if you call me young, you can do just about anything. But once we got over that bit, he's, he said he needs to remove the plate because while the plate is there, the bones will only get as strong as they need to get. So they will never get any stronger. So removing the plate meant the bones would be a bit vulnerable for a while, but then they would go strong. So if all you do is hide away from whatever hurt you, in this case, the plate was merely protecting the bones, then the bones would never get stronger. It would be just as vulnerable. It would just be that if I felt the plate would protect me. But if I remove the plate and then I'm careful, supportive, protective of the wrist for a while, the bones will grow and be as strong as they were before. Does that make sense? 
So it's a lovely metaphor, I think, for what we have to do in managing our stress. Initially, you put the plate in, you have some surgery, you straighten it up, you put the plate in, and then you deal with it and you, uh, you allow yourself to be vulnerable. You remove the plate, you rem remove that padding, you allow yourself to be vulnerable, and then you become strong. Mm, I love that. That's so good. And, and so can we, can we simulate stress? Is it effective to simulate positive, safe stress? I'm thinking about physical challenges like rock climbing or doing the bridge climb or things like that that put us in a situation where we feel those stressful emotions but we have a great experience and we come out the other side. Do those sorts of things help us build resilience in general for life as well? Yeah, look, there's no doubt that uh, joyful things are also stressful. So you're quite right when you say that. And so I always say to people, what are your life, stressful life events? There's a whole um, questionnaire around stressful life events. And, you know, very, very stressful is death of a loved one. Not quite as stressful, but pretty bad is divorce. Not quite as stressful, but, but pretty good is buying a new house. It's still up there in terms of the amount of stress it has caused us. Um, we still have to have the stress and then be aware of, how exhausting it can be and remove the plate, be vulnerable if you like, and come back up uh, stronger than before. Yes. I think you were asking it in terms of we can, can we train ourselves to be more resilient? Is that, is that right? You're thinking about Yeah. I just sort of wanted to see whether that was. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I think a benign life where nothing happens, where there are no challenges and no stresses, is both boring and you won't develop, you won't grow. It's through stresses that we can confront who we really are and we can become more whole human beings, if you like, through that confrontation. And you're quite right if it can be a positive stress like uh, rock climbing, which can be very challenging and some of us are more challenged by physical um, opportunities than others. But doing whatever it is it can be going to a dance class if you've never gone dancing before it can be learning a musical instrument trying to learn a language all of those things are both good for our brains and also are the sort of challenge which will help us see that we can overcome life's challenges by doing something new yeah so doing something new can make a difference i i don't think there's an actual cause and effect line though between doing positive and stress I, and and now I will be more resilient or be, better able to cope but there's still good things to do in our life yeah absolutely <laughs> uh yeah and, I, and then I sort of got thinking about relationships as we were talking there and resilience and what makes relationships strong uh <laughs> that's a tough one um but I remember listening to the wonderful audiobook uh Edith Eager's The Choice and then I went straight on because I was just in love with it uh straight on to The Gift which was uh more of a case studies of her practice and her patients over over the years and she asked a woman uh do you uh, ever get angry at each other and the woman said, oh, no, 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 you know, everything's fine. And she said, well, that's a shame because if there's no anger, there's no intimacy. And uh, I found that really interesting and it made me think I tend to um, placate rather than get angry. Uh, I'm fully prepared to admit that that's a tendency of mine. Um, 
and noticed myself after listening to that uh, piece of wisdom the following week, I was really upset about the way my partner did something uh, in relation to our child and I felt enraged and then I felt really scared to say something and then it ended up coming out in like a a, a cry <laughs> because I was so, but I was, I just couldn't keep it in because I knew it wasn't good to do that. And I felt like that was me actually building some resilience in our relationship and, and starting to really feel like actually you can always voice what's on your mind uh, and uh, the relationship should get, if it's a good one, stronger. And it does and it has. Well, that's good. There are a couple of things that, as I listen to that that are of concern. The first is um, <laughs> okay. I, adore, I, I adore Edith Eager, but I don't know that there's necessarily no intimacy without anger. Uh-huh. There's no intimacy without passion yeah and not everyone is angry you know has to be angry but what we know about relationships here's a bit more research that I do know about that in relationships it's not how angry people are or how many arguments you have that matter in terms of saying the relationship is good or bad it's how good the relationship is between the arguments what's happening when you're not arguing because that's what you have to strengthen you might still have passionate arguments as long as between the arguments and as long as there's good enough space between the arguments, as long as the arguments are not violent, as long as they're not abusive, as long as they're just trying to come to resolution, what happens between the arguments is going to make the difference. And that's what you build on, what's happening between the argument. I also think it's important that people can speak up and not be frightened within a relationship to speak if they have needs or if there's something they need to say. But on the other hand, I don't think one should say everything that just arises in their head in a relationship. 100%. There's something that are better left unsaid. You have a fleeting thought um, or you're irritated about something, sometimes you bite your tongue. It's okay. It doesn't mean there'll be less intimacy. It doesn't mean there'll be less passion. It just means you haven't started an argument over nothing. Sometimes there, there are very small things and we can. you do have to pick your battle in any relationship particularly in your intimate relationship. Is this one really worth it? Is it really going to enhance our lives? Is it going to make things better if he or she does things differently than they are now or says things differently or understands this? Or is it just me putting some stipulations, some conditions around a relationship which is otherwise entirely good? Mm. So, Yeah, definitely I I see absolutely what you're saying and uh, I think the reference I gave there would have made more sense if one had heard the whole case study because there really was an issue with self-expression in this woman's um, uh, life and a lot of buried emotion Um, and it was not a good relationship at all. Mine's excellent. You know, I'm really happy and I just realised, oh, there are times I bite my tongue when actually I should not and I should speak up and simply because I've just always been a bit of a be a good girl, 13 years of Catholic school, you know, just hold it in, sweetie, uh, because life's not that bad, first world problems, you know, whatever we get culturally thrown at us that makes us not voice um, things we should, uh, I decided to not do that anymore. Um, and and your, your relationship will survive better as mm. a consequence of that, talking about things that are important 
making sure your partner understands what's important to you and what you value and ensures that they value it in return. So having that understanding of what's important to each other is really key to building a good relationship. You know, and getting back to this idea of resilience in relationships, one of the things that has concerned me over recent decades, which is a shift from previous generations, has been this move towards only getting married when we're having kids. And until then, let's see how it goes. I don't mind if people don't get married. I have no, if I'm making no moral or religious or anything judgment about marriage, but marriage used to be the symbol of we have made a commitment to each other for life. We are making this commitment. We believe absolutely that this relationship is the one we're holding on to, right? That's what marriage is. I want people to do that early on because when you do that, you then say, now I've got both feet in, so it's worth making this relationship better. It's worth putting the effort in. It's worth fighting for. It's worth having my partner understand what's important to me. And it's worth my trying to understand what he or she is telling me and what's important to them. But if I'm not 100% committed, I'm not going to do it. So if you're sort of in parallel, just being good partners, living together, not living together, I don't care, but not having made that lifetime commitment until sometime later on in the journey, if you like, then you're not making the journey. I want people to get together and start to be on a journey together. And that journey is about learning about each other, taking risks, being vulnerable, removing that plate of armour and being vulnerable, revealing the bone, if you like, of self to the other. And through that, building something which is stronger than one plus one or bigger than the two that one plus one makes, bigger than one plus one equals two, is a relationship where you actually are vulnerable with each other and you don't wait years until you know it's perfect before you make that commitment to 100% together because you've wasted all those years where you haven't actually been vulnerable with the other. So interesting. And so um, how does one do that without the getting married part? You said you don't mind if people never get married. It's, it's making the commitment and saying yeah. I'm 100% there. It's not about the ring on the finger. That's that's symbolic, metaphorical. And, for some, and if you are religious or a believer in the social preservation of marriage per se of that, and I've been married for many, many years and it's, I, I married when I was far too young to know, certainly didn't know if he was the one. He didn't know if I was the one. At that moment, we were the one for each other. That was good enough because that's what you did. Um, and because we didn't sort of always check out that the, whether the grass was green and we made a commitment that because at that moment we are the one for each other, we'll work on this and make it the best relationship it can possibly be. That's what signing a marriage contract meant to us. And whether it's signing a marriage contract or a gratitude journal, I don't care how you do it, but unless you're 100% in, both feet in saying, I'm here and I'm prepared to be vulnerable with you because we are going to spend our lives together and we're going to keep making it better and better so I can risk being vulnerable because even if it hurts now, it will hurt less later. And you know what I'm saying. The hurt I'm talking about is not someone deliberately or even inadvertently hurting the other in a in a bad way it's the hurt through which you grow 
It's the inadvertent hurt that happens when our bones rub against each other before we've worked out how to do it. It's not the hurting each other for which I have no tolerance whatsoever. And I'm sure listeners will understand the distinction I'm making here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and in terms of strengthening a relationship through the parenthood journey, yeah. where do you see couples coming unstuck there? Um, Sometimes the unstuckness is the lack of understanding that for a while one surrenders self, one's identity becomes parent and co-parent rather than self. <laughs> so stop wondering about where my free afternoons have gone and how come I don't have time to go to the gym and um, who's making the dinner tonight and and what it means to me to have my space. You know I need my space or my time for relaxation. I hear that so often. I go crazy. Where was it written that you're entitled to space when you've got a brand new baby? <laughs> you weren't. There, you've got a dependent soul connected to you who, who depends on you for their very being. You don't have time for self. That's some tough love there, Amanda. Oh, I, I, I'm a tough there's, there's a whole <laughs> bunch of people going, Okay. <laughs> But you see, if you do that and if you're truly co-parenting and you've got that connection with that other, when you are on a parenting journey together, you'll notice when the other really needs some breathing space. You'll find a way, but it won't be by you demanding that you need space right now that you get it. It'll be by your partner saying, you go away for a while and let me just take over. I can do this. I'm on top of it. You go and do what you need to do. And you'll do it for your partner. That's what you do for each other when you're co, when you're on a journey together, when one of you needs to be carried, the other carries them. When one of them need one of you needs to sit and rest, you do it because the other will take responsibility. That's being on a journey together. But if your journey is about me, not us, then you'll always be disappointed in something like this because there is no room for me if you're going to do this job properly. But you grow stronger, you don't lose your identity. It becomes strengthened. You're in there. And I promise you, when there is space for you again, you'll find you changed. But that's a good thing, not a bad thing, because that's what the journey of life is. It changes you. It grows you. Mm. makes you stronger. Yeah. Oh, that is true. Um, and, okay, so in terms of women and men in the modern context, and you've used the word co um a few well the prefix co a few times uh I can't help but ask you then because it seems to be so common that even though sometimes on paper it looks like the co thing is happening really well it still feels like the mental load of women is ginormous compared to men in the average situation again don't want to completely generalize there are always going to be different scenarios but that in the parenting situations parenting running the house just the amount of stuff a woman has in her brain at any one time about the management of family life groceries etc compared to a man tends to be a lot bigger even when both are working and we see this come up time and again in the research how do we truly cope well, it's interesting, isn't it? I was speaking to the, a young woman recently who came to me with exactly that issue. 
in her relationship and they don't even have children, but it was just like, she feels like she's the one doing all the management and organization. However, she said, he will do anything she asks. So I said, so when you're uh, managing the tasks and specifying who will do what, make sure he gets enough of the physical tasks to do that you feel like he's taking some of that physical load that you have used your mental abilities to deal with. So that we don't have to do the same thing. It doesn't have to be equal. It has to be shared. So if I'm taking much of the mental load, organising our social life and making sure the kids are looked after and who's picking one up or the other, make sure that there are other aspects of your world your partner shares, that he takes some responsibility for. Um, but, you know, I've never thought anywhere that it was written that things were equal. They can still be joyful. It can still be fun. I don't only feel happy if I know that my partner is doing an equal amount of work to me. But if if his identity is is um, settled and he is able to co with me in terms of our living in the world, and if I'm given the space to build who I am and develop me. What does it matter if I'm doing more brain work or more physical work or whatever, if I can cope? It's not too much for me. If it's too much for one person, the woman, to do what she's doing, then stop and work it out together. Because if you're co-ing, if you're co-parenting, co-running your world, then he'll want to help you work out by only doing a load that you can do. But if you can do it and the individual things give you joy and your resentment is only that you're doing more, then first of all, reflect on what other tasks you can give him to make him more equal. But then even more importantly, reflect on where it was written that your happiness will only come if you're doing an equal load. Because I just don't believe that's true. Mm-hmm. In fact, I, I get away from doing more, I think. Yeah, and I think you broadened the definition of a, um, a, of a healthy load uh, for everyone in the picture by using the word shared versus equal because I think shared creates a nice gray area where we get to define what that looks like for us rather than here are all the chores here here are all the chores here it's exactly the same we're equal great we've done the equality thing and what and how does that work and let's think about it for a bit there might be a time I mean I had back surgery last year I could do nothing and everything was done for me there might have been another time in our lives where I did more than he did over time, I suspect it probably will even out. But if you're only looking at what's happening at this moment, who's doing more at this moment, then you'll always be disappointed or you'll always feel guilty because you're not doing enough. Let's give up the guilt. Let's give up the shaming and say we're doing this together. Whole goal is that we have individually less to do because between us we're doing everything. But if I had to do all of it, it would be impossible. Yeah, absolutely. It's a sharing and you can only do what you can do. Absolutely. And different people are good at different things. I think about my husband and I, we are chalk and cheese on our, mm. on our um, good, like, you know, what we excel at. And I happen to just be able to have in my head the exact stock levels of every item in my house at any one time. They're yeah. just there. I can't tell yeah. you why yeah. or how. Yeah, um, and so he's like, up on toilet paper, you knew. You I know, knew the toilet. 100%. Yeah. 
18 roles right now. Anyway, um, so, (laughs) (laughs) so we, you know, but that would be really stressful for him to try and do that. Mm. It's just not how his brain works. He wants a list, garbage, please, this, that. He wants to have his jobs. He's and so you, you could either, so you could either look at that mm. as I have to do all the organisation and life is terrible because I've made to, to be responsible, you know, and it's all the brain work. We could say I'm using my skills and therefore that's not too stressful because it's my skill anyway. And he can use his skills and so he's less stressed. So by doing it together, you're reducing each other's stress. And that's the goal of being in a relationship. That it's easier, not harder, than it would be if you're on your own. Mm, love that. Very nice. So my last question is about children then. Um, it feels like we've never had more help learning how to raise children than we do now. Yes. It feels like we've never been more involved in our children's lives. Gone are the days where they're, you know, unless, you know, country kids I hear all the time they're off in the morning and back just be back before tea time that's still definitely happening in some contexts but I think in the urban contexts no not so much and um and we have you know they seem to be more scheduled than ever and we also see a lot of issues around resilience and a lot of anxiety in children. Uh, is anxiety new in children or are we just talking about it more? And if it is on the rise, then is it to do with our modern parenting styles, techniques? This is a whole podcast on its own. You do not I know, know, I know. I we'll need to we'll need to come <laughs> back and unpack this in a well, couple of months. Come back and unpack it, but I will say to you that I think the modern world has created anxieties in parents and though that can be transmitted to the children, either by modeling or by the parents being very anxious. Uh, parents who knew much less three three generations ago brought up less anxious kids because they didn't know what they didn't know. And there was some advantage in that. We just had to get through the day and the kids had to go to school. My parents didn't know for 13 years whether I did homework or not. They never knew. They, they never asked and I certainly didn't tell them that I wasn't doing it. They just didn't know. They got, their, they got the report card twice a year and at that point they would know whether or not I had done enough to get a mark that they could be pleased about. That was the extent of their involvement in, involvement in my schooling and they weren't so unusual that's what working or sort of blue collar or, or white collar even what what people did they let their kids go to school it was the job of the child for some reason nowadays it's the job of the parent the child is educated no so so parents are much more anxious the children therefore become more anxious the children's anxiety then plays back to the parents they go into this lovely little loop they make each other anxious and it's worthy of a whole discussion. So, so that's part of the question. The, the bigger question for our discussion today, I think, is more about how can we build resilience for children in, in a world of anxiety? How, how do we help children? And for children, just as in adults, resilience is going to be built by having, a connect, having connections. And for children, it's about mentors. It's about ensuring that they have someone on whom they can depend, who is safe for them, and who values them. It can be mum or dad or a big sister or brother or the scoutmaster or the teacher, a best friend, a best friend's parent. There can be a range of people who are important in a child's life. 
The child has to know they're valued for themselves. They have to understand their connectedness to others. And yes, they will have to have some challenges and sometimes they'll have to be allowed to fall over. They'll fall over and it will hurt and you'll give them a Band-Aid and you can get great Band-Aids now that say ouch on them, which is even better. <laughs> and you'll give them a Band-Aid and they'll stand up and they'll try again instead of doing what I think the last two decades of parenting has done, which is to overwhelm the child with a protective shield, that plate I talked about in a broken arm. And so they're never vulnerable. And so they won't grow stronger. They have to be a little bit vulnerable. But, but it's a tough world for parents. They keep hearing about how unsafe it is. And we have to get back that idea of being safe enough and being able to convey to the children that it's safe to take risks as well. Mm. within within bounds of course safe risks yeah yeah ah amanda i could talk to you for hours uh (laughs) i am mindful of the time and i am excited about already having teed up our next subject that's good um (laughs) but thank you so much for your time i think it's a it's a a very uh talked about wondered about subject resilience uh at the at the moment especially having gone through what the world is has and is continuing to go through, um, never mind all the rest and wondering about the future. So I really uh, appreciate you helping us unpack something very grey and quite difficult to navigate. Uh, Wonderful uh, chatting to you again. Good fun to talk to you. Thanks very much indeed, Alex. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed today's interview. And I want to remind you that you can come join me on social on Instagram at Lotox Life or one word or my personal Instagram uh, at underscore Alex with two X's, Stuart, S-T-U-A-R-T. On Facebook, you can find us at Lotox Life uh, and of course, lotoxlife.com. And if you want additional support and community around leading a Lotox Life, I can't recommend a better thing to do than to come join us at the Low Tox Club for just $49 Australian per year, which is about $29.30 US, about €27 and about £25. You get a stack of club member perks and the benefit of a beautiful private Facebook community. So check out the website, lotoxlife.com, hit the Explore tab and you'll see join the Lotox Club as your very first option there. I hope to see you in there. If not, I will see you in our wider community sometime soon. Thanks again for tuning in.